Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belonged to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders. Real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, leaders. Welcome, Leading Ed members. I'm Jeff Rose, founder of Leading Ed, and today we bring to you another leader chat. Now, this leader chat, like every leader chat, is special, but it's special for unique reasons, and I think those will become extremely evident. Once again, our model is we believe circles are better than rows, as the video described. We believe leaders can help leaders when they're actually engaged in discourse, which is why kind of circling up is the overall strategy. And content is also important. We just try to make sure that our content is very pragmatic, very focused, very timely, and it's digestible, hence a leader chat. So today, like I said, is extremely special. I'm going to introduce you in a minute to um, this guest, but let me you know, talk about him, uh, potentially even embarrass him a little bit. And um, also, I think it'll be really evident as to, to why this conversation right now is really important. I'm going to be introducing you to Dr. Duke Bradley. Currently, Dr. Duke Bradley III is the Deputy Superintendent, Chief of Schools for the Buford County School District in South Carolina. He's originally from Columbus, Georgia. Dr. Bradley spent much of his formative years in adult life in Atlanta. Dr. Bradley holds a BA in English Literature from Morehouse College, an MAT from Brown University, a law degree from John Marshall Law School, and a PhD in Educational Leadership from the University of Southern Mississippi. He has also completed the Harvard University Graduate School of Education's Leading Change in Education Systems Program of Study. So potentially he's overeducated. I'm not sure how you would describe that, if that's even possible. But Dr. Bradley has taught high school English at two DeKalb schools uh, before he attended law school. Dr. Bradley served as the executive director of Wesley International Academy, a K-8 open enrollment public charter school operating in partnership with Atlanta Public Schools. He has received national recognition and media attention, which is actually too much to read, so I'm going to skip it. Um, and Dr. Bradley was also the principal of Banneker High School in Fulton County, which is this spectacular and inspirational story that I would have a hard time doing justice by telling it. Um, and that is, in fact, where, where we met. 
And prior to his current role, he was also the vice president for school leadership and accountability for 3DE schools. And I'll tell you this before I, I bring him on to the, the camera here in a second. The first time I ever saw Dr. Bradley speak, um, I was in awe because this is a gentleman that can own a room. And I nicknamed him to the person sitting next to me. I said, I'm, I'm calling this guy Preacher Bradley because <laughs> you find yourself hanging on to every word um, because he just is so passionate and is extremely articulate. Um, he's just a very impressive gentleman. And so I know him because he is an amazing leader. But I also want to, you know, be very clear as to kind of why. Why we are engaged in this conversation with Dr. Bradley at this time. Well, it's African American um, uh, History Month, and we know that we're focusing on that. And, you know, Dr. Bradley is this incredible African American man, and he is this amazing leader. And it's important that we hear his perspective. It's important that we honor his accomplishments, but it's also really critical that we establish some hope for the future. And I think that this conversation is one that will help us do that. So without further ado, let me unmute um, Dr. Bradley. And uh, so Duke, how are we doing? Hey, Can you hear me okay? I'm doing well, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I, I really appreciate this time, really appreciate this time. We're not too far apart, right? A few hours. It's a few um, hours, about three and a half hours. Yeah. Hey, how's the weather there right now? Is it, I mean, today it's cloudy and rainy, but the, the country is in like in disarray relative to the weather. How, how is it there? You'd be disappointed. Um, uh, it's rainy and gloomy, and that is not uh, common for this part of the country. Uh, but I, I will tell you, we're faring a little bit better than our friends in Texas and the Midwest right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm counting my lucky stars. And I got to tell you, Dr. Rose, you, you, the pressure is on. You make me sound much more impressive than I actually am. <laughs> hey, I, but, I just read your bio for crying out loud. I, I, I don't understand looking at you. I think, why is it that you just don't age? Oh. I mean, you're, you're like an 18-year-old kid here that, with this incredible education. How did you do that? Uh, look, my knees are crackling every <laughs> morning, so I'm not necessarily feeling particularly young right now. <laughs> okay, so let, how about this? Just tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of maybe what did I miss, right? There's, there, there's yeah. nuance yeah. to you beyond your bio, so... You know, just, yeah. just tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. You know, I think what's interesting, um, I think, is that a lot of people think of me as an Atlanta guy. You know, I, I, I moved to Atlanta as a teenager, uh, spent a lot of my high school and college years and much of my professional life in Atlanta. But I'm, I'm originally from Columbus, Georgia. Um, and it Columbus is a place that is really uh, special to me. I, I go back all the time. And I like to tell people all the time that you know, I grew up in a, in, a, in a four corners community where, you know, I was really sound, surrounded by, you know, a, a church family that was really special and important to me, uh, a, a, a general neighborhood and community that I think uh, helped to inform my development as a young man uh, and a ballpark that where I spent so much time and learned so many lessons. Uh, and so I like to remind that although, you know, I think of people, a lot of people associate me with Atlanta, Columbus is my home. It's about 100 miles southwest of, of, of Atlanta, uh, halfway between Atlanta and Montgomery, Alabama, right on the Georgia-Alabama line. 
And I think Columbus is very much a part of my personal identity. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I've, I've learned from you and, you know, kind of through you uh, before. And in, in some ways, you, you may not be a, quote, an Atlanta guy, as you describe it. But, um, you know, being somebody who moved from the Northwest, right, <laughs> Portland, Oregon, to Atlanta, right. Right, which was an incredible learning experience and a very steep curve for me. Um, it's always been really helpful for me to watch and lean on and learn from people like yourself, because as you know, based upon where you live, there's a rhythm, right? There, there's a culture, right? right? And right. to compare the culture in, say, the Northwest to, you know, Georgia, um, I would say the only similarity is what? Maybe people walk upright. I mean, that's maybe joke I say. That, that might be the only difference. Right. You're right. Right. So. Um, so tell us, you know, maybe a little bit more about the narrative of your school district. Right. So what, what do you love and what are your hopes right now for, you know, Beaufort County Schools? Yeah. So Beaufort County Schools, first of all, I think is is in the low country of, of, of South Carolina. And I think typically when people think about the low country of South Carolina and Georgia, they think about Charleston or Savannah or Hilton Head. Well, Buford um, kind of sits right in the middle of those cities, right? Um, I did not know very much about Buford in particular before moving here. Um, I didn't realize that there were so many military installations. I knew it was a, a common destination for vacationers and retirees, but I just really was not aware of the immense diversity that is found within this community. And I think our district is reflective of that in many ways. We are almost 30, 30, 30 percent across the board, African-American, white and Hispanic. Um, and I think that gives us uh, a really kind of unique flair uh, in terms of the demography of our of our of our school district. Um, we uh, our schools kind of run the gamut. We have some really high performing schools. And we have some schools that we've got to do a little bit more work in. Uh, we've got some disproportionality. We've got some uh, some 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 pockets of poverty that we're wrestling with. Uh, and I think beyond that, we are kind of um, fairly reflective of what you see in most school districts. We've got some opportunities for improvement, and we've got some some areas that we're really really thrilled and proud of. And so my job as chief of schools is to just kind of continuously put us on a, a track of, of, uh, of constant improvement. And uh, that's an everyday battle. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I, I, I know about the battle, but you know, the battle is also different, right? So the battle today is different yeah. than the battle was a year ago. Right. right. Um, so I, I know that you're definitely in the thick of it. Absolutely. And, and when I'll tell you and COVID has accelerated my learning. You know, I'm, I'm relatively new uh, to a district office leadership position. Uh, and although I think outwardly project as a, as a leader, I am a learner and learning so much more each and every day. And it's not always about stuff that you should probably should come into the job always, already knowing. Um, it is about how things work. Uh, and there's not always a handbook for that, right? Yeah. Um, and so that has been an education unto itself. Yeah, indeed. So, you know, this is, you know, African-American history, uh, Black History Month. And, 
In the meantime, we know that you know African American males and females are extremely underrepresented in leadership roles, right? Um, which is also the case in in education. So, what have been maybe some of your influences and motivation to pursue, you know, your current as well as past leadership roles? Yeah, uh, I would say without a doubt, it's been my parents. Uh, you know, my my mother it, it was a retired educator. She taught English for. 35 years, I will tell you one of my earliest memories was of, you know, driving to a, a one act play competition with my sister, my mom, uh, and two of my mom's uh, students. I remember my mother putting on plays at the local mall and, you know, spending weekends away at oratorical contests because not only was she an English teacher, she was also, uh, you know, head of the drama club, right? Um, and my father uh, is a retired business and businessman, but he also was on our local city school board. Right. So while my father was kind of doing his school board thing, my mother was doing her teacher thing. And I was observing all of that as a child. Right. I don't know that I've always really understood what that influence has had on me. But obviously, I'm a I'm a I'm a career educator now, so it's probably played a more significant role in my life than I than I'm probably aware of, right? Um, and I think so. My parents, without a doubt, um, I always joke that it makes perfect sense that a, a, a former board member and a teacher would have given birth to <laughs> a, a school administrator, right? Uh, but I think secondly, Dr. Rose, I would tell you that when I got to Morehouse College, someone put a book in my hand. It was called Born to Rebel, which is the autobiography of uh, the biography of Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays, former president of Morehouse, who I think is the kind of the chief architect of what most Morehouse alums aspire to, which is to lead lives of leadership and service. Um, and. I feel like in many ways, I've spent much of my professional life chasing Dr. Mays's shadow. Uh, I try to emulate him in so many ways. I read all his stuff uh, and uh, really model myself as a leader after his leadership example. Okay, so your mom is a teacher. Your dad's a board member of the same district? In the same district. Yeah, that you're you're like squeezed, right? I mean, I was squeezed, right? <laughs> you, you can't you you can't get away with anything. And I don't know I, if I don't know that I consciously made a decision to go into education because of them or because of those experiences. But I think without a doubt they had some measure of influence on me. the The, the funny story is that when I was um as a, when I was a freshman, I had declared my major as English because the only thing that I thought I knew how to do well, or at least enjoyed was to read, write and talk a little bit. Um, but there was a woman by the name of Dr. Joni Wynn, who was the founding director of a program called the Benjamin E. Mays Teacher Scholars Program. Actually it was the Ford Scholars Program initially. And it was just um, a, a, a program that was for young men who were interested in advanced careers in education, or at least thought they were interested in advanced careers in education. I needed to add a class. Dr. Wynn was teaching speech. I showed up at her class and said, can you add me? And the secret is that I needed to add a class so that I could be eligible to play in our season opening football game, which we were leaving for the next day. 
So my 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 schedule had to reflect enough hours to say that I was a full time student so that I could I was there on football scholarship. And I, I told Dr. Wynn, sure, I'll join your 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 program as long as you add me in your class. And the rest was history. She took me under her wing uh, and uh, because she said, you're going to be an educator. And I, I said, OK, as long as I can play football, too. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I, you know, Duke, it sounds to me like you didn't really have any choice in the matter. It sounds like um, you have been either you know influenced or manipulated into the job that you do. <laughs> right. Well, one thing is for sure, it is not a mistake. Uh, I, I feel like uh, the stars have aligned to lead me to where I am and to do the work that I do. And I'm, I'm just grateful for it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, so in, in terms of this underrepresentation of African-American uh, males and females in leadership roles, I find that we know that's the case um, actually across the board, right? And in a lot of industry um, and areas in this country, that is the case. I think it's um, amazing that that is still is the case in education. Yeah. Um, so I just I just want to pick your brain a little bit. What are your thoughts on on that issue, and how do you think that impacts you and your leadership? Well, first of all, it's unfortunate. It's disappointing. Um. I told the story about my involvement with the Benjamin E. Mays Teacher Scholars Program, and that was really kind of inspired by this idea that we've got to develop more as a you know, kind of private all-male institution. And so the idea behind it was that we needed to develop and cultivate um, and push uh, Black men in particular to go into the profession. Um, and there weren't very many people at Morehouse at the time that were interested in being educators. They were lawyers and doctors and such. But I think now that I have been in this work for over 20 years, um, I think it's really disappointing. I, what I know is that there are lots of organizations and quite frankly, school districts who have recently done a really good job of, you know, kind of prioritizing diversity, equity, inclusion and having initiatives around having uh, a developed conscience around many of the issues that a lack of diversity and appropriate perspective can can create for your organization. Uh, but I think there's so much more that we can do. I've been pleased to see that there have been some efforts around that work. Uh, but what we do know is that when there is underrepresentation in the teacher force, um, then there ultimately is underrepresentation in leadership, right? Uh, and if you haven't developed a strong and robust pipeline of leaders, then you'll find that you have a wide chasm and gap that you've got to, you know, find some way to kind of uh, feel. Um, and I think just with my colleagues across the country and even here um, in in um, this region, it's a real problem. Uh, you know, I, I, I would um, tell you that in our district in particular, um, the numbers of African-American men who are working as teachers uh, is just, um, you know, an area that we've got to do a lot better job of. But that's not necessarily an uncommon narrative that I find when I talk to my friends across the country. Uh, and so obviously we, we the data speaks for itself in terms of the importance of having diverse workforces. 
uh, and the impact that having diversity within your workforce can have on the trajectory and outcomes that you aspire to. Um, so there's got to there's got to be a lot more work done in that regard. You know, I, I tend to be a, I've always been somewhat of a glass half full kind of guy um, sure. and kind of leader. However, um, hearing you talk, I, the, it, it just brings up the issues of. So we already know about the unrepresentation in leadership and to your point, which is accurate, right? It aligns to what we see in terms of teacher force. So right. we have two problems afoot. We have number one, that, that we don't have the, the necessary representation of teachers teaching our students, especially those that look like those they teach, right? Um, and number two, we also have this huge issue relative just t teacher shortage in general. The fact is that we are shrinking our population of teachers, right? Less people want to go into education now than ever before in terms of, you know, overall percent uh, of students that at an early age are identifying they want to be teachers, whether in high school right. and in college. It's actually a very scary stat that I think threatens the very dilemma that we're describing, which is we need to make sure we have quality representation of people of color in leadership and teaching roles. So um, I don't know exactly how we address that. I mean, I know there are strategies. I think, though, there's going to just have to be a huge like shift in paradigm relative to the narrative of what it means to be an educator and then how we make sure we find quality teachers that we think can be leaders and create a clear pathway for them. Um, I guess that's not really a question. That's just like a, yeah. a, long, a long vent. I mean, I, I would agree with you, and I think it's reasonable to anticipate that if there is a general teacher shortage and African-American men in particular are underrepresented in that potential teacher force or in that potential workforce, that the numbers will even be smaller for, uh, you know, that particular group. Um, what I my and, and you're right, there are lots of strategies, I think, that districts deploy to try to, you know, kind of address that. My sense is that the squeaky wheels get the oil. And, 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 I, and what I mean by that is, unless you are screaming from the mountaintop that you are important and we're going to do everything within our power to make sure that this is a place where you can be supported, um, that your professional ambitions can be um, cultivated, that there are tracks for you for, to pursue within the district, I think that those are the kinds of things that are really important. At the same time, I think um, teacher prep programs and our local colleges and universities that are actually uh, have access to these young folks can 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 do some things to make the, the profession a little bit more attractive in terms of uh, why connecting it to, you know, kind of larger impact and, uh, you know, uh, the, the potential for reshaping communities and things of that sort, because I think that the profession is a wonderful profession and not just because I've been in it for 20 years, but because I think the opportunities that you have to change the trajectory of lives of young people, to shape communities, to have impact that extends well beyond uh, your, your time of engagement with young people, uh, I think is, is, is incredible. And I don't know that there are many other professions uh, that can, that can boast that. So I think it's an admirable and a noble profession 
that I would encourage uh, anyone to pursue. I agree. It is it is as, as noble as they come, right? And you're right. The 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 chance to really change the trajectory of a life. Um, I right. can't think of another intrinsic uh, motivator as powerful as that personally. Yeah. And I am a biased educator like yourself. So um, right. Now speaking of you know kind of yelling or screaming from the mountaintops, um, I think you know over the past year we've had this incredible awakening. Um, in, in in my opinion, in our country, relative to issues of racial inequity and injustice, right? Yep. So what are your hopes and strategies for the future to have an impact in these areas? Um, and that could include screaming from the mountaintop, but sometimes there's some other strategy behind that. Yep. Well, first of all, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I think that there has been an awakening in our country um, and I, and, and I think that it has been a slow awakening. Uh, but I think the question is, what do you do once, once you are finally awake, right? What do organizations do? What do individuals do? What do communities do? Um, and I think I've really been pleased to see that um, there have been some advances around having dialogues which I think are one of the most powerful tools that we can have to get understanding or to have a meeting of the minds or to have an awareness of varying perspective. You know, I, I wrote a, an article um, on the heels of the George Floyd um, uh, uh, murder back in the summer of 2020. And the article was really about this, the notion that young people needed their school communities more than ever, right? but they were stuck in this virtual environment and all of this social change was happening and schools, if they're organized the right way and if they have the right culture can be places where those young people could connect and talk uh, and share what it was that they were watching on TV um, and, you know, maybe, you know, addressing the narratives that have been kind of forced upon them and making and, and talking with others to kind of make sense of what they were experiencing. And so my greatest hope to your question is that we are brave enough and courageous enough um, to allow schools to be places where that kind of dialogue can occur, where young people can kind of make sense of things that they are experiencing around them. Because I know that when they have space to do that, when they have a space to exchange ideas or to express themselves, they become better people. Uh, they become more confident and aware of their own feelings. They can express themselves a bit better uh, and they don't have to suppress them because they're isolated or disconnected from others. So my greatest hope is that education can be a place that that allows for all of that. Yeah. And, and um, if not in education, like where else? Right. I mean, I, there's lots of other different right. avenues, but. I would hope and anticipate that education can actually be leaders in this yeah. because we do have the opportunity to engage our youth and our youth engage differently than adults, as you right. have learned, right? I mean, you remember as a, as a principal, um, you know, students bring a natural curiosity to the day, right? Um, we as adults, we do a pretty good job bringing baggage. They they truly bring this, you know, amazing interest that um, I think is astonishing. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I would say is that, you know, 
know, as, as, as educators, we talk so much about the standards that, that kids are expected to master. But the, if we're teaching those standards uh, in isolation, we're probably doing a disservice to the young people. And I think a lot of that relates to what kids are bringing into the buildings and what they're experiencing. If they're not allowed to make connections between what they have been required to learn and what they are inherently learning through experience, then we are really doing them a disservice in cutting short the the the, the impact of what their ac- actual educational experience can be. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, as, as a black man and a leader, uh, based upon your journey, yeah. what would you like to communicate to others? Remember, our audience, um, we make this public eventually, but our audience, right, are, are leaders like yourself. Um, but what, like, what pragmatic perspective would you provide? Um, like brass tacks, what do you think people need to know and hear? Yeah, well, I think people need to keep the faith and be uh, eternal optimists. Um, uh, you know, when you have, when you're a school leader and you, and you have a bad day, I haven't met a school leader yet that has not walked into a classroom uh, and observed wonderful instruction and wonderful student engagement and left that experience feeling better, feeling that all of the, 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 the stuff that they've got to go back to their offices and deal with uh, is a bit more tolerable because they know that there is a classroom in their buildings <laughs> where something great is happening. Um, and, I, and I think that educators should be reminded of that, even uh, though there are times when um, the things that are happening around them may not necessarily reinforce what I just said, right? To, to be eternal optim- eternally optimistic is to, to, to constantly remind yourself that our young people are resilient, they're smart, they're resourceful, as are our educators who are working with them each and every day. And if we, you know, kind of stay uh, on the beaten path to ensuring that young people are getting what they need within whatever is within our, our scope uh, or sphere of influence, I think that that is enough to kind of keep you coming back each and every day to endure whatever the challenge of the of the moment is. Do you think um, do you think right now as you think about the do you think it's harder because of COVID to have those opportunities for leaders to be inspired by youth and because you know walking in and out of classrooms is maybe different than it once was. Yeah, I do. I do think it's much more difficult, but it, I just think it's different. It's it's different for us, just like it's different for kids. I think you can pop into a a, a Google Classroom and 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 hear and see and experience something that, um, that just like you might if you were walking into a live classroom. And so the, what we've got to do is just really stay focused on trying to find those little bits of inspiration that keep us coming back for more and more and more. That's what I've done. Um, even though I get buried with with other stuff from time to time, I think whenever you get a chance to to remain connected with the core of this work, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's enough. It can be enough for you. So, uh, Duke, Doctor Bradley, some people would call you. Um, number one, I want to say thank you for your time. Um, yeah. I want to say that uh, you know your friendship has meant a lot to me, and I I appreciate um, not just this, just just for being a leader. Um, you know, you're, you impact a lot of people. Um, I am one of those. 
And well, I know that our members who hear this um, will agree that um, you're, you're extremely impressive and, you know, your optimism as it relates to, you know, the day-to-day -day challenge, but still wanting to be that eternal optimist and kind of cheerleader, I think um, is great to hear from someone like you. I really appreciate it. Dr. Rose, thank you so much. That, that means a lot to me. I appreciate it. And uh, we've got to get together and do this again soon. Yeah, we absolutely, we absolutely will. So um, right. ladies and gentlemen, uh, in, you know, leading ed, I am, I know that you'll get uh, a lot from listening or watching to, to this leader chat. We thank you, Dr. Duke Bradley, and please remember, don't lead alone. Be well.